We like to think the apostles were the world's best pastors. And that their churches, the early church, never had any fights. Everybody got along. We have those stories about how they shared everything in common. And just they were spiritual powerhouses because we have these lists of gifts and prophets and all these other things in the early church period. This book was written to a church that was full of itself. The main problem in Corinth was Corinth was a city a lot like my native L.A. Or perhaps a little more poignantly, San Jose or New England. The people really liked the armchair philosophy. They loved to appear smart. And they loved to rub it in all the dumb people's faces. And Paul saw as a pastor that his church was getting split between those who, well, thought they were wise in their own eyes. And those that, well, a lot of those wise people looked down upon. We have stories of communion banquets from Corinth where rich people show up and they ate the meal in common in those days and rich folks would get blasted and go home drunk. Well, poor people didn't even get anything to eat at the church potluck. So Corinth was a church that was fighting. So Paul had to answer some of the questions we've been answering in our series. So far, we've looked at why the church. The church's foundation and reason for being is Jesus. All reason we're here, folks. Then we looked at where is the church, and that is in the very presence of God replacing the tabernacle. Then we looked at who is the church, a royal priesthood making intercession for everyone else. It's not a country club, and it's not a buffet. If you go to a buffet, when they're cheap, I'll use that word, or it's buffet, whatever it is. When you go, you get to pick out everything. You have a whole bunch of people serve you, and if you don't like the buffet, you get to go on Facebook and blast the place with a really nasty review. The church is the place where we come to serve, to be the poor guy working behind the counter at the buffet, not the customer. Now today, we are getting into the question of just what is the church? That's why it's important for me to take this whole chapter out, because Paul's giving a sermon here about what is the church. So today's reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that couldn't even speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, truly, Jesus is Lord, except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discernment of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each individually just as the Spirit chooses. And now Paul gets to the meaty bit. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into the one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Because indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, if the foot were to say, well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were the eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were the hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable bits are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members don't need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one part of the body suffers, all suffer together with it. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistant, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Now, are all apostles, are all prophets,
are all teachers. Do all work miracles. Do all possess gifts of healing. Do all speak in tongues. Do all interpret. But strive, each of you, for the greater gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. Now, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, if, if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. Love is not rude. It, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know now only in part, and we prophesy only in part. When the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to my childish ways. For we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. There is no bigger shame than when the body tears itself apart. Many churches have made a sad spectacle like a comedian fighting himself as hand goes for throat, thumb goes for eye. What is the church? It is a body united by love. And as the apostle himself said, nothing can replace that love. As we enter into the season of Lent, we're going to be looking into what it means to be a member, what Christ has called us to. But the most primal thing, the thing that must not be dropped, is that if the love is not there, it's a dead patient. We could change all the music. We could get up here with all the guitars we want. We could sit here and hug it out, bro. I could be the world's best pastor. I could be the world's best preacher. We could do everything right and get all the ties in that we want. But if we don't 
have love, then none of it matters. Just like that foundation is Christ, is love, so we must stand on it. I don't know about you, but I don't like playing church. I want to be the church. <laughs>